My name is Rachel White, and people call me the skeptical shaman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal hippie people. Searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole. All while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody. The curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of The Skeptical Shaman. I am your host, Rachel White of Totem Readings, and I have a lovely, lovely woman slash, or maybe plus sign, goddess here with me, Leanne Arends. So Leanne, why don't you give everyone a, a quick intro of you and, and what you're working on before we dive into your incredible research into the ancient mysteries. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, hi, so my name is Leanne Ahrens. Uh, I'm super happy to be on your podcast. This is super amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm an author. I'm writing a book series about an ancient civilization that surfaces after the Second World War and just kind of comes up out of nowhere. And um, yeah, they are magical people. Nobody knows who they are, where they're from, and they perform these magical spectacles all over the world in a big stone arena. So they travel the world with this arena. And um, then this young female scientist uh, goes to the show. The, the tickets are really hard to get to the show, so she gets a ticket. She goes to the show, and after the show, she unexpectedly wanders off. And goes between the, yeah, kind of like the trailers or the the, the little houses that we live in. And uh, feels really guilty about it because she's not supposed to do that. And then in the shadows, she meets um, the main performer of the show. And he's not at all surprised to see her. And he says, hey, you need to come with us and stay with us. And so she's extremely shocked. Um, also very honored. She's like, okay, so... Um, I guess I got to do this. So she just puts her life on hold and um, yeah, meets them. And from there, my book series starts. And, and um, what's the name of the uh, book series? It's called The Goddessy. I love a word pun. And The Odyssey is, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the John Wick movies. <laughs> That's very Americana. Keanu has a lot of guns, but I love them. And the, the director was a former stuntman. And he wrote them with his friends. And he said, it's we wanted to create a modern Odyssey story uh, or yeah. like the uh, divine yeah. comedy of him going into hell and trying to get up through purgatory yeah. to heaven or just getting right. into Beatrice in the case of Odysseus in the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Women don't have Odyssey type myths. Like we don't have our own Ulysses story or, or things. Yeah, they like have it. But yeah. they were not documented. Yeah. And if they were documented, that record was never maintained. Right. And the interesting thing is I I didn't have a title um, for a really long time. Like, you know, I've been working on this book series for 10 years. 
and I kept changing the titles and it always felt like, yeah, this, this could be a title. It feels okay. And then I met a man just last month um, in, at a conference that I was in Paris. And he's like, so what are your books called? And I completely, like, I had no answer. I was like, um, and it was super weird. I was like, wait, I, I know what my books are called. I've been working on this for 10 years. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to sit with you and we're going to work on this because this is my specialty. And I was like, okay, awesome. So I gave him the gist of the books and he comes up with this and I had instant chills. I was like, yes, this feels like it's- Homer had been coming up that week for me like three times. I was like, yes, this is a complete yes. Like, this is what it is. I'm loving it. So why don't you let everybody know where you're from? Because you have such an interesting and mysterious accent. And Americans aren't used to non-Anglo-Saxon Europeans. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I was born in the Netherlands. Uh, I lived there the first 18 years of my life. And then I just started to travel. uh, Basically, while I was in university, I traveled all over because my university, university had many programs in different countries. So I moved to Spain, then I moved to France, and then I did an exchange with Boston College in in the States. So I was able to live there for a while. I think that my accent Americanized, but I must say that um, I think a lot of Dutch people sound fairly American because because of TV, there's a lot of American influence in the Netherlands. And so then uh, after school, after university, I moved to Silicon Valley for a bit, and I worked there with a startup for a while until I was a an interesting experience. It was super interesting. I was there in 2012. So it was right at that moment that Facebook was just booming. Twitter was introduced. I was taking over. I think it was like the first year of Instagram or second year or so. So it was like an interesting environment for sure. Yeah. And people think that if you're to anything woo and woo adjacent, there's no way you could have had a real job or understood the real world, right? There's this sense of people that you and I are outcasts from the beginning and we don't have a lot of other options and we don't know how the real world works so yeah your background's interesting and you know I guess the next question just to give everybody an idea of how you got into the goddessy and and researching this phenomenon with this scientist and this group performing these ancient rituals like how did you stumble on this topic and why did it call to you you know going from Boston University to Silicon Valley startup to then ancient mystery school. Like, how does that happen? Um, well, the only answer I have um, in terms of the books is that I've always known it. I've always known that I was going to write this book series. Like, I was 17. I even remember sitting in the train in the Netherlands, knowing the topic. I knew it was going to be a modern girl, a modern woman, I guess a girl at that moment. Um, who was going to be introduced to these ancient teachings that had been forgotten uh, by our society. So that had been a thought of mine. I even started it. I, I think I even still have old drafts of, of those times when I started to write and it never worked out. Like it, I started like a page or two and I was like, no, it doesn't feel good. So I waited and I now I understand why I really had to live before I could write this. Um, and so I kind of forgot about it. Like there was a moment in Paris when I lived in Paris I was like I think I was 22 and I lived this I had this beautiful apartment looking out over the over the Eiffel Tower and I remember I was reading Isabella Allende and one night like right before um uh, falling asleep the book was on my face I fell asleep and then in the middle of the night I woke up and I looked at the Eiffel Tower and I was like I'm going to be an author and then I fell back asleep 
So that was like a super strong calling. And then I forget, forgot about it for a while. Like I, I went down, you know, the path of getting a corporate job or, or just startup job is not that corporate, but it was just doing my thing. And then everything came together. The, the job ended for some reason. And I felt like I didn't even know I was writing the book when I was writing it. I was just like without a job for a little bit. I was like, okay, I'm going to look for something else. And I started to write a short story. It was really just writing something down that felt good. And I wrote one page and then two and then five and then 10 and then 20 and then a hundred. And I was like, what, what is this? Where is it going? Where Can is I it going? interject and ask you a question about that? Because I have a theory about certain authors and um, actually Elizabeth Gilbert, whose books I hate, you know, Eat, Love, Pray. <laughs> you, I don't, I'm not a fan of book burning. That's one I would round up and set on fire. It's just not for me. But she gave a TED talk about her, quote, demon, but in the ancient Greek sense of an external intelligence, the genius, right? Right. And that she didn't feel like she wrote, she felt like she channeled. And I think that Stephen King does that, not all of the time, but there are some of his stories, like The Outsider, where as a psychic, you know, I'm reading it, I'm going, this is truth. Like he's channeling, downloading something. Do you think that that's part of what was going on? It's interesting that you say that because actually it was, I was thinking about that today. I was like, am I, what am I doing? Am I channeling a part of this book or am I writing? Um, And then I, then I came to the conclusion that um, I really much use my intellect to write this book. Like I, I research a lot of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I don't fully go into like, I'm going to just write this down knowing what I know. Like I really want to research what I know. And then usually when I've written it down at the end, I realized that I already knew that I was going. But it's almost like I need to find proof. Yeah. When I do a client session, and you've been a client of mine, um, people ask me, you know, because I do the spiritual transformation coaching work, and it's such an ephemeral thing to, like, quote, learn how to be psychic. Or the question is always, what does it feel like when it's working? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the, the feeling? And I always tell people, it never has the feeling of learning new information, like when you learn to drive a car or you learn to go fishing or something, it feels like remembering. Like the physical feeling right. is very adjacent to deja vu for me. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why you recognize it. It's like, you know, when, when I integrate something that I'm like, okay, I think this fits really well, it's, it, it, I recognize it rather than... it's The characters that are in the book were already in place in the beginning, and I didn't exactly understand who was where and why. And now I'm filling them in, and every time I do more research, like that specific character that I already wrote shows up in that research right at that location where I had him or her. Do you and think you had a past life connection to this story, to these people? I I think so. I think so. There's definitely a, an Egyptian connection because when I was really young, I had this, I was sitting in my classroom and it changed into a temple for like it was like five to ten minutes or something um but i had that it happened to me I when think... i had my minor strokes just so you know when i stroked out when i was 31 my whole bedroom turned into a giant egyptian temple <laughs> maybe we were in the same temple <laughs> maybe it, wow. it certainly yeah. blew the uh, sight in my right eye out for a few days i joke it, it blew a fuse you know and i got everything back i'm fine as far as i can tell but yeah and yeah, i and i saw a temple yeah. Well, I saw it and I was experiencing that. And then all of a sudden my right eye went dark. Wow. 
Wow. And to be fair, I was working with Odin at the time, and he's got a thing with eyes. So there were many facts. Mm, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. There's, but just, you know, that, that seeing that is not limited to you. That's actually a very consistent yeah. phenomenon. And I have a lot of clients who've seen things like that. Right. And I was I was happy that I shared it with my mom back in the day. I don't think I would have remembered it, um, but she really was like, "Oh, really? Tell me more. Tell me more." Like she started asking me about it, and she was very open uh, to those ideas. And and so that's why I still I think that's why I still remember it because she's like, "Oh, yeah, that's that's beautiful." You know, I was like, "I guess." <laughs> and then uh, and other than that, I would, I mean, strangely enough, like recently there's something happening, like very significant people are stepping into my life and last week as well in paris like somebody came to me it's like i think that you're writing from past experiences but somehow you're blocking it and therefore you're researching it to rediscover what you already know that's what he said and i was like well it, it does make sense in some ways um so i would say yes i i it's good I, that I you're researching that. though you know, the name of the podcast yeah. is The Skeptical Shaman. And I, for the last week with my my self-imposed illness, you know, my, my detox, I've been having a lot of past life things come up. And the first thing I do is go, thank God I learned biblical Hebrew at Spurtis. And I go open up the Zohar and I go read about myself. And it's wow. a way to not go and see, Leanne. Like, I know so many practitioners who convince themselves of some, like, crazy ephemeral bullshit and they never ground it in reality they they never apply like logic or critical thinking to it and to me my question then would be how do you know you're not crazy how do you know you're not deleting <laughs> yourself and there's not this narcissistic masturbation right and also wow. like just the way my brain works i want to know that it's true that matters to me yeah yeah absolutely and truth is a hard thing to get to in our world anyway. We'll talk about that. But as much as you can. But it also is like, it really, I love doing it. Like, I cannot think of anything else that I love more than going into these ancient scriptures and like unearthing things that I'm like, wow, that totally makes sense now in a different, you know, framework. And it's just something that I love. Like, even if I would remember stuff, I would probably still do it because it feeds my soul. Like, I... I'm I'm a I'm a researcher, I guess. Like, in, in, you're in alignment yeah. with it, and I yeah. think a lot of spiritual work is kind of like personal archaeology. And every time you think you've gotten further down, there's another there's another like layer of tombs or an older civilization that was that the previous one yeah. built on top of that's individual yeah. to you, and the work's yeah. never done. No, no, that and sometimes I wonder is like. Is it ever going to be done? Like, and then I'm happy it's not because it, this is so fantastic. Like, it's so amazing to just. And I think we also need our intuition in the sense that a lot of the stuff that we have today, uh, what has been researched and what has been found, there's also some shift happening right now where it seems like we're collectively starting to remember that there's much more. And we, I think we need, we need that guide. Like we, we need to see beyond what has been found in order to find new things, be, to be open to find new things. And yeah, and do you do? I'm going to let go strongly. Uh, yeah, of course, I wanted to say yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Graham Hancock <laughs> is, is it, for those of you listening, he's an incredible author. He doesn't claim to be a scientist or a mystic. He's a journalist, right? And a researcher like right. Leanne here. Yeah. And he's brilliant. And I really, really loved his book about the Ark of the Covenant and how he thinks it's in Ethiopia. Oh, and yes. Yeah. He has a yeah. new um, Netflix series called Ancient Apocalypse with scientists and geologists and evidence regarding ancient cataclysms. And the little saying for his show is things just keep getting older. Uh, when they've discovered megalithic structures at Goltepe, Goltepe Tepe. Yeah. I feel like I'm making Lo that. Globeki, Globeki Tepe. Yeah, we're speaking in tongues. It, it's a Southern Baptist <laughs> church episode. But no, where it's it's something like twenty thousand years older than the oldest yeah. point of ancient Egypt, and so he's right. just fucking up the history books left right and center then the vitriol that gets thrown his way is one yeah. old you know right. you, he's been he's dealing with that for years year. yeah. yeah and um a gentleman whose podcast i i love and i'm i'm friendly with his wife his name's mark vicente and he's a scientist not scientology listen to me nexium uh survivor whistleblower and he was featured in the vow just did an episode about conspiracy theories and he used Graham as an example and he goes you know it's just like people yeah. in a cult they can't receive like there's something with the cognitive dissonance because it would so challenge their foundational concept of reality and their sense yeah. of self that they throw stones at him do you, do you think that that's what it is because I'm wondering also like why is there so much attachment to how things should have been like it does for me it doesn't just it make doesn't make any sense to be so attached to something that you can get so angry when somebody else is giving you a different perspective do we is, is that because the solid ground is then shaking too hard or there that's part of it um I think a lot of people, it, it, I view our society, and there are layers and degrees to this, so I'm not suggesting society is like Scientology or like what Jim Jones did, but it's it's a looser version of it with a lot more variability, but it's still very culty. And so, yeah, people are in survival mode. Like, they can't question the story from the top because yeah. they're just trying to pay bills and buy food for their children and survive functionally. You know, in America, the, the, there's something like 50% of Americans couldn't put their hands on $1,000 in an emergency yeah. if they needed to. And so when you look at that and, you know, so I think that's a big part of it of like, I can't even deal with that right now. And I don't want to be overloaded by it because I can't solve my daily problems. But then, I, you know, I'm a little more conspiratorial because I've been in board meetings and I've heard the quiet part said out loud by people. And to me, I just think there's a dark, invisible hand organizing that as well. Like both yeah. the suppression and in like financial enslavement of humans, but also the tweaking of what bits of history get shared. And Graham Hancock says, you know, we're a species with amnesia. And so right. the work I see you right. doing is excavating and, and fix almost like a doctor healing someone's amnesia. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's also interesting to, like, I call it speculative fiction when I'm writing because I'm not claiming anything either. I'm like, I'm not saying, hey, this is how it was. But you know what? It's already very important, I think, to open mind, just to open because of, you know, um, things become less scary when we have, and we see more what you said, like cognitive business. You just don't see things 
when you're told so strongly, this is how it is. But that, and I think that's one of the functions of fiction and, and books is, is to open our minds so that we can see broader. And that's important for us as a species, especially now in challenging times where actually, isn't it also a little bit relieving that maybe things aren't exactly the way they are because the way they are, are not working out. Like, I feel like we're now actually getting ready to, to opening our minds and our, our perspectives because what we know doesn't work right it's clearly not working we need it's just like what forces you into therapy as an individual right it's like you're yes. going in this loop this freudian loop and you're like i keep coming out oh. at the same point and experiencing the same pattern so i something needs to change a lot of something sober people talk yeah about where yeah. like it was just repeating and it was negative and nothing was changing and everything i was trying to do in control wasn't working and I needed to right. open my mind and just surrender and receive. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I love what you said about fiction. I think fiction can tell greater truths than fact. Sometimes it's one of the reasons yeah. I love Neil Gaiman's American Gods. The first right. time I saw, because I had read it years ago, but then I saw the first episode of the show. And Mr. Wednesday, my homie, Odin, played by Ian McShane, who's brilliant. I saw it and... Leanne, I am not kidding you. It looked like and spoke like and dressed like the version of Odin I saw 10 years before in a meditation. And it hit me that Neil Gaiman met Odin. Like it was a truth. Even though we're watching a fictional story, there was a like an inherent powerful truth in it for me. And when you encounter those truths, I think it shifts your energy as well. Like it opens your mind. But it, it's some kind of alchemy with our energy yeah. body and our physical body. Yeah, yeah, and and just listening to him speak, Eva, like it's it's so relaxing just to listen to him yeah. speak and the way that he 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 places his words so poetic and you know I read a lot of like I read a lot of nonfiction actually I would say I would I read way more nonfiction than fiction. Me too. And 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 I and it it, it definitely gives me so much that I'm looking for, and I also know that's not for everyone. First of all, like I. I think the things that I work through, like really old books, you know, written in a language, like English is changing constantly. You have to really focus and really keep your focus on the stuff that I'm reading. And uh, at one point I was joking. I was like, um, you know, I felt I felt quite isolated for a while when I was doing so much research. And I was like, and somebody told me, why don't you just re reach out to the writers that you're reading? I was like, but everybody's dead. Like, no, none of these writers are alive anymore. And so, um, so, so in order to get through all that material, you have to stay quite focused. It's funny you mentioned that. Um, I have a lot of clients who say, have you, have you read so-and-so? Have you read this latest book? Have you read da-da-da? You know, like a new, newly published thing on Amazon. I'm like, I don't read any of that shit. I don't go anywhere near it. I read the Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and the right. By the way, yeah. and I have the Zohar in in transliteration and in Hebrew. When I I need to get in there, speaking of language and nuance and right. etymology of words and the the flow or poetry, you know, because Kabbalah in particular was written in a code in sort of a poetic code. Right, and as you read it, right. it's meant to induce a meditative state. Yeah. And so, yeah, all my favorite authors are dead too. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> And I think there's a big group of us that are sort of trying to excavate these things and, and translate yeah. them 
for the yeah. modern populace, get them into snackable, as they call it in marketing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. What have you personally discovered reading these ancient things and doing this research with regard to the cycle we're in right now? Because I, I right. personally found that all of my areas of interest, which started with me very young, like I started reading about Kabbalah when I was 10, which is, you know, wow, what a cool kid I was. Her lot a dork, <laughs> so introverted. But, you know, there's like a reason for it that I'm seeing now writ large in the world as, as events yeah. unfold and emerge. What are those for you? Um, that's a good question. Yeah, and it's a necessary question because it also answers the question why you're writing these books, I think. Like it's, um, so as, like I started with Kabbalah as well. As soon as the the story started to drop, that's how it felt, like it dropped on me and I started to really write like really fast. Um, I started also uh, reading Kabbalah and like introductory, introductory books, like not necessarily um, the Zohar itself, which is, like extremely thick and confusing if you just jump into it. I, I read a lot of introductions and I feel like with Kabbalah, when you start reading it, something is also working on the inside, like something is being tweaked. And so you don't even consciously know it. Like it's especially when this is where the Hebrew letters come in. And I'm like, as you like, I study ancient Hebrew and it's not a language you're like, okay, I studied it. Now I'm going to speak it. That's not what it is. It's, it's, uh, like it's a they're hieroglyphic. Like it has, yeah, right, yeah, and they have some like they call it the divine language for a reason. It has uh, in it there's there are layers, there's numerology in it, um, but there's also I also think there are like you know the when you stare at it, and sometimes I just do that. I just stare at was it the seventy two names of God or the ninety two names yes. of God? I just stare at it. Seventy two. It's I have that seventy two book. I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and you just look at it, right? And you just, uh, and I allow it to seep in. And every time you read something, which has to do with Kabbalah, it has a new meaning if you read it two months later. Like, it, that's also a thing. You're never done. Like, you, you always keep going. Um, and What's I, your favorite I, Hebrew I, letter? Everybody who studies it has a favorite. I think it's just really the first and the last, you know, the the, the Aleph. And... <laughs> Yeah, I think Aleph is my favorite, actually. Yeah, yeah. What is your favorite? that kicks it all off. I like Lamed. Lamed. I'm partial to that squiggly serpent, the ascending yeah. and descending energies. And also, like, it's the um, it's the letter that ends every angelic name. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, right? right? But it also starts a couple of interesting names for big characters in Kabbalah. So Lilith. Lucifer, yeah. and you see yeah. the how those are transposed. You're right, and contemplating that. Hey, my name is starts with an L. That's right. Yeah, I just it's it, I think it's very elegant looking, you know. And that's one yeah. of those things where you don't know why you keep coming back to it, but it also represents like information coming from above, and that yeah. that energy of it flowing and through. the order, you know, the order of the alphabet is super important. And I I lean against like the order of our alphabet right now. Um, and they talk all, it's all about the order because it's also numbers, right? So the order of yes. the alphabet is very important. And the order of our alphabet, I think it's quite scrambled actually. And if you look at, um, 
you know, the value of letters that like, I think English right now is a very useful language. We all use it and it's beautiful that we can communicate with people all over the world in the same language. However, though, um, we wouldn't sit down and like look at the, the number value of our letters. And there's like there's just it's one layer. But if you look at and also uh, in terms of um, the Egyptian language as well, I found a book actually that related the very old Egyptian alphabet to the Hebrew alphabet and had yeah. the same order. And I was like, okay, so this has been known for a really long time. And so, you know, supposedly given to us by, by uh, divinities who probably knew more than we do. And, and somehow we were able to, to still, we still have this today. Like it's actually quite brilliant that the ancient Hebrew alphabet is still with us and that we still have this technology and that we can still read it. Uh, um, I was so, in um, Anarchapoco in February, you know, the anarcho capitalist conference in Mexico that I went to. And there was a guy there from Canada. There were so many interesting people. And one of the things I loved the most about it is no one was self-censoring. So everybody was just saying crazy shit, like whatever they wanted to talk about. And no one, yeah, you know, attacked them. No one said, you know, everybody, even if you don't want to talk to that guy about Kabbalah or Hebrew, you could just walk away. Right. And I'm like, this is what society kind of should be. And he said he learned something about the Hebrew language, which is rabbis mainly write, you know, you write from the right to the left side of the right. page. That's how you read and write Hebrew is the inverse yeah. of ours. And that a lot of rabbis write with their left hand because of that. And he said he had a theory, it was a hypothesis he was working on, that our language, this Germanic you know, English language and being right-hand yeah. dominant Catholic schools, training children to not be left-handed, was a way of shutting them off from the intuitive hemisphere of their brain. And that when you learn these other languages or you become ambidextrous in your thinking or in your writing with your digits, you're actually getting the two hemispheres of your brain to communicate with each other. And that's in his his theory what he thinks the powers that be don't want us to do. Right. Because that's right. Well, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the first time I've heard that, actually. Yeah. Okay. It was the first time I heard it. It it was quite novel. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it makes sense, you know, and if you if you think about the divine language, you know, like we're, you know, the, the mirror image, everything is mirrored in our world. So the mirror image of God, you know, it's like that is indeed then our language would go the other way in a way. And, and so it makes sense then that the both, that if you have both control over both or if you understand both, you can read both, that you're somehow balancing out, you know, the divinity in yourself and the humanity the one part of yourself or yeah yeah, it makes a little sense and growing your uh, corpus callosum that little fiber that separates the hemispheres of your brain when you meditate it grows it becomes more flexible and it's why i always recommend like transcendental type meditations or shamanic meditations or even you know what the intent or or modern for that matter like rabbinical hebrews do the ecstatic meditations with the letters as numbers and all of that and do you, do you use sound when you meditate? Do you like no uh, make sounds? I think that that's very very important. He lies as well. Oh, totally. I am super damaged, and like <laughs> I don't make sounds and I don't move my body. <laughs> Those are things I don't do. Um, I'm just I'll get there eventually. But yeah, yeah my meditation yeah. is hilariously still, and I'm sure if someone watched it, right. I think literally I was probably putting a grocery list together. Or something in my head 
Um, but sure. yeah, in in terms of these like activations and bringing this forward, why do you think this is happening now? Why do you think we need it? Uh, right now, yeah, I really need it. Be, be, I think we're we're facing a very interesting period. And of course, I actually also thought about this today. Like, oh, it's, it's we're living in a very interesting time. And I was like, yeah, but wasn't the Second World War also extremely interesting time to live in? And was, but there's there's something now that's happening that is so unique because it's not only us it's the planet itself that is changing rapidly in a way that we need to adjust super fast in order to deal with this like here you know i'm in portugal right now actually the weather is quite all right but you can see the the droughts around you if you drive through spain it's so incredibly dry rivers in the south of france that should have been filled in the in may beginning june they're empty like I was driving on bridges over completely empty riverbeds and there is, you can't deny anything anymore. Like it's so in your face right now. We're going to face things that we might need to shift for. And, you know, I truly feel, truly feel that like our world comes from within and, and our reflections come from within. And till now, I, you know, I, of course, I'm not speaking for humanity in its entirety, but we have that, like, the, the desire to look for the answers on the outside. And I think when the outside becomes so unpredictable, there's nowhere else to go than to go inside. And to master well, that. So very egotistical to think that we can control things by controlling all of the external variables. And by the way, that's very American, that energy. That's one of the things I don't like. I love America. I love our culture. But one of the things I don't like about it is the separation between scientism and engineering yeah. and philosophy and poetry. Right. And, and you really need those things integrated to do things properly and also to surrender and say, listen, I can't control everything but I can, I yeah. can do this or I can face this. So like what you're describing, I just made a, a note, is a species level shadow work has to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like exactly. if we're going to give birth to the 2.0 of ourselves and the planet yeah. and, and get things back into equilibrium and level up, right? We have yeah. to process bad, ugly stuff that people don't, people don't want to look at the dry riverbeds. They just want to like go to McDonald's and watch Netflix and that's it. But crisis brings out our shadows. Like that's just kind of the mechanism, how it works. Like deep crisis, there's nowhere else to go. And then you got to face stuff and you have to. And, and also in order to overcome all the stress and or not even overcome it, but just to be in it, um, to, to know thyself is ultimately the answer, right? Like to, to not freak out. If you know yourself, you know everything. Because as below, so above. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then in, in scary situations, it's it's much nicer to have done work on yourself already for, you know, multiple years than to just go, you know, we can say coming out of the McDonald's and everything shifting around you and you just don't know what to do. So this is the work we all need to do. And yeah, and it, and it's also joyful in a way. Yeah, it is. And and that's so this is great that you said that. Um, I listened to an interview yesterday that got me very emotional. And I'm not typically very outwardly emotional, by the way. Uh, so it always upsets me. You know, it's funny. Crying upsets me. 
Um, but it was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talking to Joe Rogan. And he's running for president as a Democrat. And I was registered Democrat my whole life. And things have got very weird. You want to talk about dry riverbeds, trust me. There's other metaphors for that. But he's, you know, got this sort of Christ consciousness to him. And he was talking about um, Albert, is it Camus or Camus, the existential, French existentialist? Albert uh, Camus. Thank you. Camus. Um, and he wrote The Plague. And he said that his father handed him, you know, before he was assassinated, obviously, a copy of that book. And in it, it's this doctor somewhere in Africa and there's a plague. And they can't stop it. They can't cure it. And a lot of people who get it are dying. And at a certain point, he realizes the futility of action, like trying trying to control the situation. And he discovers that his purpose is to comfort the sick and the dying. And as a doctor, he had to surrender all of his control and just become a human being. And yeah. he mentioned this book in the context of like, it's existentialist, obviously, but stoicism and that your Sisyphusian burden pushing the rock up the hill mm -hmm. is joyful. Your burden can become yeah. joyful when you, you just have to get the noise out of the way. You have to realize like, yeah, this gives me purpose. It gives me structure. And this is what's in front of me is what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. So of course. Yeah. And then. <laughs> well, and it's also part of a part of why it's not like this might be just one of the most unique opportunities, you know, and, and if you attach very much to what you know and how the world should be and how you know it to be, then, you know, humans don't do very well with change, especially not instant change. It takes us a while to, you know, move city and get comfortable to a new city and, like, you know, generally takes a year or two. And um, that's kind of our human nature, uh, I believe. But yeah. that's also the attachment to this is how it is and this is how it should be. And if it's not, well, then who am I? You know, so so in in a sense, um, it's in our nature to freak out when things are not the way we expect them to be, and that and, and that is really what I believe. Like those stories, you know, that again, it's a story. It's a story that opens our minds. That I was like, oh, things can be different. Um, and fairy tales, you know, isn't wasn't that Einstein who who said you who said if you want your children to be smart, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be even smarter, read them horse fairy tales. They, that's how and, he, you know, Albert Einstein loved Kabbalah. Uh, really? I didn't people don't that. realize, yeah, the theory of relativity, how he discovered that sitting on a train is is a very interesting little Kabbalah moment. And um, all of the, the great minds like Watson and Crick, who discovered the double helix of DNA, mm -hmm. Watson or I don't know if it was him or Crick, but had a dream about it first and then went into the lab and unpacked it like it, it it's all these things get discovered through spirit through the collective wow. unconscious through whatever and everybody wants to go at it the opposite way from which it works yeah yeah exactly yeah and dreams like actually only recently i'm starting to fully understand the potential of dreams like because i was right like there's multiple books in the in the series and i thought i was done more or less with the second one there's definitely or things i still wanted to work on but i was like okay i'm moving to like a part of the book three and i took a nap on the sofa and um, was really brief but in that moment there was this like 
really large entity that hoovered over me and came together with one of my best friends from Los Angeles. And she was speaking the words that he or she or whatever that entity was wanted to say to me. And it told me specifically to go back to the second book. And, uh, and he said, like, you need to write about King Moses. And, and Moses is a character in my book. I can't believe you just said that. I have been on a Moses thing for like three weeks and reread yeah. Exodus. And, you know, um, what strikes me about Moses and why I'm I'm newly fix, refixated on Moisha, I guess is correct pronunciation, yeah. name, is that he was in, he was number one raised as basically an Egyptian prince. Yeah, absolutely. He was an Egyptian prince. According to my, my, yeah. And so he had everything and he lived in, you know, the, the King's pyramid, the Pharaoh's pyramid and all of that, but he was intensely secular, even about Egyptian religious rights. Like he was like very much a critical thinker. He wasn't a silly person. Yeah. He wasn't remotely spiritual. And I, I resonated with that as being someone who used to be sort of a devout atheist, I joke, and intensely yeah. skeptical. And what I realized was him and many of the great sort of prophets of, of the Abrahamic traditions, like Judaism, Christianity, Islam, like Noah didn't want to build the ark. And Moses argued with God regularly and was not like a devoutly religious person. But And, and the God of that, that faith system, a Yahweh or an Allah, whatever name you want to give him, right, um, prefers people that give back a little and that he can tug of war with and that aren't yeah. silly sheep. They're they're quite difficult mentally right. and logically. And he seems to like difficult, disagreeable people. And I've been thinking a lot about Exodus because I, I personally think we're in a form where number one, there's more actual liter literal slavery on planet Earth right now than at any time in the American slave period. Yeah, uh, there are children yeah. hand mining cobalt in Congo. It's 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 sex trafficking beyond what's going on. But beyond that literal layer, I, I really believe we as a species are in slavery. And so I've been thinking about Exodus and how many generations it took for the Jewish people to stop worshiping false idols and going after each other because being enslaved and having a dictator like a fascist overlord and all of this structure and everything. It filled so much space in their lives that even though they were happy to be out of slavery and to be in Canaan and all of that, they, yeah. they were like epigenetically traumatized. And they right. had to kind of, through the many generations, like pull their shit together. And I think yeah. as we enter the age of Aquarius next year, we're going to have our hands full with that piece of it. Yeah, the healing of that piece of it. And not worshiping false idols. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting that you say that because that's been one of the things that have become most important. Um, I, I think it's one of the most important messages is for us as humanity to heal that part of us because we're going to keep enslaving each other. And maybe we'll, we'll invent some technology that will do it for us. You know, that's the thing. If we don't heal this part of ourselves, that, that it's still a wound. And, you know, even inflation creates slavery because... You know, your normal salary suddenly is worthless and you're like, yeah, I'm working. Yeah, but you're working for nothing if you compare it to what other people make. 
So that's slavery. Even though you think you're, you, you think you're being paid, you're not really being paid. And so this is getting more and more intense right now with the economy cycling wild. And um, I think it's just, I think it's reality telling us, hey, it's time that you heal this. Yeah. It's time that you understand, first of all, where it comes from. So that's why I, I, I really am going so far back. Because it's interesting when you look, you know, at the Mesopotamian story of, I don't know if you're uh, very familiar with the ancient tablets from Mesopotamia. Yes. But it, it in Zacharias Sitchin's work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, Zacharias Sitchin has also, it's it's been said that he also came up with a lot of stuff that he really, really put his own like truth over yeah. things. Like he didn't necessarily find everything in the tablets that he said he did. But ultimately the tablets do talk about, you know, a species coming here and needing labor in order to get done what they needed to have done and they were to mine gold for their sky chariots and we right. have gold on our spaceships yep and so and so if and if they did metal like we we've talked about this before if they did metal with you know if we're able to metal with genes other species can metal with genes it's not like you know, uh, unimaginable. So if that is something that lies at our foundation, which I'm not saying it is, but it could be, there's a very important piece of information there. And if we keep denying it, maybe we, if you keep denying your past and you want to heal, that's a really difficult track. It's like, oh, I want to heal and integrate, but I'm denying the part that needs to be integrated. And therefore I'm just going to be blind to it and keep going in the same, you know, patterns basically so as humanity yeah. we might just be stuck in this eternal pattern until we fully embrace who we are and it's it's all over the toxic positivity in the spiritual industry for lack of a better way of putting it where you know here's a scented candle here's a mantra do a vision boarding exercise and be happier in your slavery <laughs> it's it's like a morphine drip to get you to just yeah. numb out so you can be a good consumer producer. Really, that's your value as a human. One of the last things I worked on when I was in corporate was basically a white paper of the transhumanist agenda and how biometric data, human data, plugged into the Internet of Things was going to be the value of humans in the future. And it was one of those moments because, you know, I'm sitting there writing this thing and I looked at my husband and I said, I can't keep doing this shit. Like this, and this one's yeah. bad. Like there's yeah. bad things in corporate, but this one's rough. Yeah. And do you, how do you feel about it now? Do you feel like, because um, do, do you have this innate belief that ultimately you're empowered to overcome yeah. this? Or do you feel like what, feel that? Because I, I feel that very strongly too. Yeah, I, I'm a human supremacist. I'm a speciesist. I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say it. Okay. And I, humans. So, as a writer and somebody who really did a lot of writing in my career, watching my former colleagues adopt G Chat GPT and talk about it on LinkedIn, which is just don't go on LinkedIn. Anyone listening to this, it's the worst energy, biggest bummer, saddest place of the saddest people. But uh, a former colleague wrote. He goes, you know, the more I use it, the more I feel like my brain's atrophying. I'm like, of course. You're teaching this thing that's going to absolutely replace you. And, and it's this silly human instinct that if you just adapt to this new form of slavery, you'll get spared. It's like, really? 
it's just a new form of the same old thing, right? Like it's just we're yeah. reinventing uh, the, the 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 pain, basically. Adapt, it'll go extinct. And it's like mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna go in in two weeks, man. The rate of change right now going really fast. And yeah, I'm speaking specifically to something I saw from a gentleman I used to work with who was never particularly uh, innovative in his thinking. So this is a, a natural progression for him. Quite frankly, if he had an original thought, it would die of loneliness. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, what you were saying about Neil Gaiman and when you listen to him speak, like the audiobook for his Norse myths that he translated from the old Swedish, ChatGPT is never going to be able to do that. It doesn't have a soul. And I also don't feel like it's new. I think whatever AI is, it's something we're resurrecting that's enslaved us before. And I don't like it very much. I don't see it as a new thing. Until until we heal that piece. And it's just the, the same old story repeating and repeating. And it's getting tiresome as well. You know, we'll we'll find new ways mm-hmm. to do the same, to, to reproduce the same story. So that's, that's why you just asked that question. Why do you think it's very important today? Well, because of this was maybe maybe we are collectively tired of this story. And maybe it's time for us to remember, like, maybe we do have collective amnesia and there are uh, truths, you know, it's not for no reason, know thyself is above every temple, you know, in, in, in the Greek times and the Egyptian times. That's ultimately the the question. It is. And it's funny. So before we started recording, you showed me a card you pulled. And we had just been talking about the Kabbalah figure Lilith a little bit. And you showed me from, it's the Wild Unknown Tarot, right? Because I have that deck yeah. too. I just, I yeah. get names screwed up all the time. And it was the High Priestess card. And it's this beautiful, like, white Bengal tiger and a crystal ball. It's a really great image in the deck. And then I said, do you want to know what that card is in my deck? The Totem Tarot deck. And I pulled out a Lilith card, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't know this, but I just wrote about Lilith and how we're a species with amnesia on my Substack for the Capricorn full moon. And the idea of, like, she, the whole point of the card, the little write-up, here, because I forget the shit I've written. It's funny. That's how you know you channel something. Um, (laughs) The first just few sentences, look, I'm not making this up. I literally, I have a little booklet. Lilith is truth. We have forgotten our origins. We have become ignorant to our own story. We have been disconnected from the full miracle of our existence. And we've been tricked into believing we're limited, frail, and alone. But Lilith knows and Lilith remembers. Wow. Yeah. So it's exactly everything you've been talking about and how powerful and important that is to close this loop. Yeah, it is. It is. And, it, and I think the female energy in this, in this uh, there's a big puzzle piece that is missing and it's the presence of the feminine energy and the, the presence of the, the softness, the intuition, the vulnerability and the daring to be human, daring to be wrong, daring to feel, to make mistakes you know all those things that we're taught not to do and and i think that's where the memories come from too if we're so rigid in the way that we behave because that's how it's supposed to be and that's how we will work and that's how we will make a career and be important and if, if we get to that softness i feel like a lot of expansion is going to happen 
and and if I if you're remembering, I'm remembering things, right? Yeah. If we're both remembering, it means we can all remember. It means that we probably all do remember, and that's why I think when we read those messages, you know, you can even get goosebumps. You're like you resonate with it. You're like, hey, there's some truth there. I don't know what it is. Hey, but let's explore. Right. Let's let's explore that idea. Let's explore the idea that we're maybe collectively we really hurt and we had a really rough start as a species, and that we need to collectively do something in order to get out of this hamster wheel. That and out of the created. kind of trauma economy, for want of yeah. want of a better term, like this cycling, and yeah. you see so much of the celebration and exaltation of the victim in our society right now and the trauma. And I think it's because subconsciously we were poking and pointing at a wound we we like there's right. something we want acknowledged and healed that yeah. we've been through but it's showing up yeah. in a really out of balance very yang aggressive way and of course now it's yeah. attached to money and whether or not you can get at these systems and structures right. wild what's going on um yeah. and you know it's when you talk about the presence of vulnerability, it's going to be really hard. And I wrote, I can't believe how on point this is with what I just wrote. Have you seen the HBO show Westworld? Yes. Yeah. The first two. Yeah. It's, a, seasons, it's yeah. about us in our creation. <laughs> and the that way one. that the, the God, Dr. Ford, right? A very Yahweh figure makes the hosts, the metaphor for us wake up is he gives them a programming upgrade called the reverie. And those are memories. They start to remember who's traumatizing them, who's hurting them, who they were, the the profile or archetype they were assigned before in a previous life, right? And that's how their yeah. their empowerment starts is with remembering. And I think that that's right. that's important. So, and it's not just you and I. You know, I do enough client work. People are really it, it's it's like this seamless, organic becoming. I'm seeing it across the board with people, which is very heartening. Yeah, I see it too. I see it too. It's And it's beautiful because before, you know, we talked about Graham Hancock and he already exposed a lot of ideas, just ideas in a time when there was no tolerance for that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think now actually we live in an easier world in that sense. Like he's already, he's having a Netflix show and he's able to speak now and we're not like, ostracizing him or we're not uh, being so harsh and I think that is because we're softening up as a species as well and maybe because of the crisis maybe we're like well there's nowhere else to go might as well just you know uh, be a little bit softer about things and being a little bit like we don't know the truth and we're fine and, and that's so beautiful about the internet is we see so many voices at the same time we're like well, oh I'm actually not so sure I have truth anymore and that makes us more vulnerable because thinking that we're right makes us hard yes it does and uh yeah and not knowing that knowing that we don't know makes us curious you know it's okay. funny you say that a lot of people when they set up a reading or a session with me they want answers or if they you know one of the reasons i i ensure that we have a phone call before we start coaching work is to align on a couple of things and one of them is the more you do this work if you're doing it properly the more questions and uncertainty you're going to have. And you're going to be very uncomfortable. Things are going to be upsetting. Yeah. And yeah. there's there's no just vending machine of spiritual answers. And like 
I, I don't eat, say it this way because I'm already harsh, but I'm not going to contribute to your ongoing enslavement. Like, you can get that anywhere else. But yeah. the, the path to freedom requires personal agency and accountability and adulting. And it's really unpleasant work. On the other side, it's fabulous. But those little valleys are yeah. very hard. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, yesterday, um, as I told you, I was doing a family constellation. And, you know, doing, do just doing things. Just saying yes to healing and whatever how i sometimes you don't even know what i'm healing but i am on a path of making sure that i want to see myself really truly as as for who i am and and it's uncomfortable you know don't i'm not doing like i had so much resistance the entire group actually picked up on my resistance because everybody was calling in martin i feel so much resistance i don't know if we should do this i was like okay let's call it up awesome you know i was like Perfect. Let's all do this. <laughs> and the whole group is feeling the same thing. And then the 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 guide's like, "Why we have to do this? Come on, like let's do this." And a huge group showed up, and I was like, "Oh my god, super uncomfortable, painful, but in 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 a way, so relieving as well." Because yeah. once you get through it, and once you go through 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 certain passages on the other side, there's a lot of joy, and so much more room for play. And so much more room yes. for heartfelt connection, you know, and looking into each other's eyes. Like how many people in society are just so afraid of looking at each other deeply into the eyes? And I think I was one of them actually for a while. Yeah. And just to to regain that trust and that and it's ultimately I think the trust in yourself. Like if you really slaves are taught to look down. Right? Yeah. 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 If we start acknowledging each other's humanity or even divinity yeah we're not going to be able to ignore what's happening anymore exactly because then we're all the same right so well i'm I'm thrilled about the goddessy uh (laughs) obviously we'll include all your links why don't you let everybody know where they can find you we'll put your your links in the show notes but Perfect. So I have a website. Um, I actually start, I, I have like 10 chapters online right now. Um, so it's my name, leanneerens.com. And there you can read um, some of my chapters and I illustrated them with uh, AI because I think AI is also very awesome and there's a ton of yeah. fun stuff you can do with it if you collaborate with it. Um, uh, my Instagram is Aaron's underscore Leanne. I'm not super active on it, but I would uh, like to be more. So that's that's great. And that's great. for now where you can find me. And um, yeah, and I'm still w- working on the book. I think you gave everyone such a good tangible to do, which is like digging into some of that work, doing something that makes you uncomfortable. Or, you know, I think you said like even just looking someone in the eye, if you listen to this, Make that an assignment. Try it. See what happens. Yeah. So thank you, Leah. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel.